Welcome back to another edition of Inside Asia. Lockdown to rebound. That's the theme of this week's episode. But unlike other episodes where we ferret out experts living and operating the greater Asia region, this conversation brings it all back home, literally. Hunkered down in Singapore, I, like many of you, have had ample time to contemplate life and some of the bigger questions. We've all employed coping mechanisms, started new hobbies, or maybe just caught up on sleep. There's no right or wrong solution. It's all about creating some peace of mind, but also developing a few practices to better build physical and mental well-being. Here in our tiny one-bedroom apartment, my wife and I have created a lockdown life accentuated with routine and peppered with some new pastimes. This Sunday marks our 33rd wedding anniversary, and so we're feeling a bit nostalgic. On this particular evening, which really isn't unlike any other evening, we retire our laptops, settle into twin leather chairs, and just talk. Anne is this household's healthcare expert, but it's also her profession. Fifteen years ago, she created You Healing, a service designed to offer health, nutrition, and wellness advice. Over the years, she's consulted with thousands of clients on how to best restore and preserve good health. She's been talking about the importance of boosting the immune system longer than anyone I know. That seemed like appropriate fodder in a world where personal health care responsibility is the custom of the day. So it is, on the occasion of our nightly dialogue, that we turned our attention to what life in lockdown has taught us. We also ventured into what can be done to combat a virus for which there's currently no medical solution. So here we are at the witching hour, about 6, 6.15. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> what, are you, what are you drinking tonight? I'm having a homemade by my husband whiskey sour. Yeah, I'm doing the Manhattan. So we're, we're learning to become bartenders, if nothing else, during this time of COVID. So um, it's eight, nine weeks in lockdown here in Singapore. What, what do you think? How are you feeling? How are you doing, Ed? I'm feeling locked down, a little bit stir-crazy, ready for things to lift. Not that I'm necessarily going to go out there and go about a lot, but I'd sure like to go sit by the river with you and be able to hold your hand when I walk at McRitchie. Well, you can hold my hand now if you want, but uh, we're in close proximity and it's a little apartment, but uh, we're lucky like uh, so many others who are struggling right now, yeah? Very much, yeah. I'm on the phone every day with someone who is very far removed or in quarantine or suspicion to be positive but can't be tested or positive with a three-year-old outside the door while they're in quarantine. It's really tough for a lot of people. I am humbled. So yes, I'm grateful to have you, my daughters, my friends, my work, and this roof over my head and 10 cents in the bank. I feel very grateful. And and yet, ironically, um, all, all that is very true and I feel the same, but we're here in Singapore, which is remains the epicenter in Asia, you might say, with uh, somewhere in the realm of 30,000 cases. Um, mostly within the worker community, so uh, it's it's still it's still rising. It's not really in, entirely flattening yet. It's strange when you consider that Singapore, one of the most advanced cities, modern cities, wealthy cities, compared, and you you look at the total number of cases reported around the rest of Southeast Asia, and it doesn't even add up to Singapore's caseload. Why why do you suspect that that is? Well, first, I don't want to um, ever suggest that I'm an expert on COVID. I think there are three COVID experts on the planet right now. Um, but Singapore's doing a lot of testing. So with the testing, they are finding who is or isn't positive. And I think Singapore will soon, if it doesn't already, probably have the world's single greatest 
data aggregation. So we're going to learn a lot from this terrible, terrible situation of what happens when people live in close proximity to each other and don't necessarily have access to the degree of uh, sanitation and hygiene that would be beneficial. You know, one of the mysteries of this COVID crisis is that um, the symptoms just keep stacking up. It started with respiratory, and then it's gut, and then it's feet, it's eyes. It seems like it just sits in the body and waits for a moment to attack. And uh, how long it lingers, there's still questions around that. And uh, being asymptomatic versus symptomatic, I guess it's just so many unknowns. And in, in the wake of all of that, I guess I'm probably feeling a little more nervous about the opening up here, uh, which is scheduled to happen the first week in June, which is going to be in, in just a just a few days from the from the release of this podcast. Uh, and I guess that's because we still don't know a lot about this particular virus, except that it's easily transmitted and it can be deadly. So uh, how are you feeling about that? Going back out, going to restaurants, milling about, going to shopping malls, if, if at all. Does that does that make you feel uneasy or do you think for the most part it's under control? Um, if it's okay, I just want to go back and pick up the point about a virus and the intelligence and the sinister nature of a virus and also the um, interesting human nature where we all over the world want to be instant experts because we have access to the internet and we want to know exactly what to do and what not to do and where to be and where not to be. And it just defies the logic of how a virus rolls. So we are out of control. What we know is only a percentage of what we need to know. And it's all we know. And I'm finding it very interesting, the observation of human nature to move into fear, worry, deep concern, and also the opposite of the same problem, which is if I know more and if I read every article, then somehow I'll be fine. So it's just the hubris of human beings, you know. Mm. This, this stuff has been happening since we walked upright. Yeah, and, and we also have this uh, deferral mechanism to science. Um, in many ways, uh, if, if there's, there clearly is not no vaccine on the horizon, um, two, three years out perhaps, um, testing is highly questionable, whether we're testing for uh, the incidence of, or the contagion or for the antibodies. Um, science isn't showing up for us in the moment. Uh, it's really kind of up to us, isn't it? And I guess this is where I thought we could have a, an extended conversation around in the absence of having any foolproof way of managing or containing this, what can we do to bolster our abilities to fight this uh, as we move back out into the world? Well, it's an interesting time for me. I mean, I, I am a science-based healthcare professional, and I have been for about 35 years. And I feel like I've been going da 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 about the same message over and over again, but the needle has stuck in the rut long enough and COVID, I think, is is waking people up to paying attention to what we probably always needed to know. Which is what? That the that the only way the body heals is when we get out of the way of the body's innate intelligence to heal. We only know 20, 30, no more than 30% of that, actually how the body functions. And the second key point was to take our power back in terms of what we eat and how we beverage and how we live, love, and work in our service. Um, we've outsourced our health to others, to pharmaceuticals, to doctors, to hospitals, to specialists, to this person, to that person, uh, and we've just kind of leaned back in our chair, and uh, we have a, 
a really frightening statistic in the United States that, that those over 40, 45 are dealing with one, two, three, or four chronic degenerative diseases. And, you know, that that's a welcome mat for a virus to come in and wreak real havoc. And, and how, how did we let ourselves get so bent and broken? How, how and why did we outsource the power to heal? Well, why? Let's unpack that. I mean, what what did happen? Was it just the idea that, well, there's a pill that can fix that, or there's a doctor who can take that out? Uh, or, you know, I, I can just uh, trust in the fact that a government is going to protect me from whatever, you know, uh, horrible disease or viruses that creep into the system. When and how did that begin? And how can we get it back? Well, I think it's not easy to do things that are hard and to outsource something that takes effort to a pill or a person or a process or a procedure is easier than sitting in the reality of your own life because whatever arrived to you or for you in terms of an unwellness is with you because of how you've been living and eating and working. It, it isn't the doctor's fault or the pharmaceutical's fault, right? And so the, the responsibility lies squarely in our own laps. And, and frankly, I think it's easier to outsource it. And there are a lot of industries out there making money off the process of us outsourcing it, of us being disempowered. So are you suggesting that as a species, we are immunocompromised in some way? No, not naturally. But uh, as we look at any data set, as we moved more and more towards highly processed foods that are known to have uh, measurable, quantifiable, evidence-based carcinogens in them, we're eating ourselves to death, we're drinking ourselves to death, we're working ourselves to death, we're stressing ourselves to death. We are denying ourselves our inalienable right to be well. So is it a reasonable defense mechanism to boost your immune system in a way that we can stave off the contraction of COVID? Or if we do contract, um, there are ways of battling it that has nothing to do with modern medicine, but instead relies more on our own innate abilities to activate our body to fight it on our behalf? Yeah, so someone like me is not just sitting around. I, I know this virus can wreak havoc. It could wreak havoc with me. I could be one of its victims. But I'm not sitting here worrying. I'm not sitting here um, drowning in uh, a fire hose of data. I, I, I know what I need to know at the beginning and the end of the day, and that's that's it. But what I'm doing is taking a very empowered stance, knowing that my immune function is my responsibility. And so how do I boost that? I pay attention to what I'm eating, what I'm drinking, how I'm sleeping, all the other things I've already said. Um, and, and now uh, it's quite important to understand that the two ways that we invite the outside world into the inside world, too, are what we eat and drink. So that comes in through our mouth, down our esophagus, and then into the internal landscape. And the second way is how we breathe. And so two of the airways, two of the highways for this virus, obviously, everyone knows this, are the nose and the mouth. And fortunately, the virus hangs out in these areas for, well, up to several days, depends on the data you're looking at. And so for me, I'm using uh, something really simple. It's on the website, a gonzo gargle, I gargle. I clear out my throat on a regular basis. I use a neti pot to clear out my nose. I pay attention to when I'm having any difficulty or shortness of breath. I then use a series of magical medicinal oils to open my airways. I'm, I'm not sitting around doing nothing. I'm doing what is in my control and power to do to boost my own personal immunity. Of course, yours, because I love you. So you're on the same program. Um, and I'm, I'm not worrying. 
I mean, if it happens, it happens. But taking an active stance also leaves less room to be worried and concerned because you're doing something. Well, I know how we're eating, and how's that drinking going? <laughs> um, we're doing fine on the drinking, but we're going to clean ourselves out next week, which is perfectly timed. So if you remember, we're going to be married 33 years on Sunday, and uh, we're going to start a fast and get ourselves really rocking and rolling and strong from an immune position as Singapore's lockdown loosens, and that's just a very sensible thing to do. I, I can't imagine a better way of spending my uh, <laughs> my 33rd wedding anniversary fasting, not eating and drinking. It sounds glorious. Well, we're going to have a beautiful, beautiful dinner and celebration before we fast. So our last supper, if you will, is going to be beautiful. Yeah, great. So, so how do you measure somebody's immune resistance? Is, is it like blood pressure? Is it something that you can monitor? Is it, how, how do you know that you are as you know, resistant to the onset of disease as you can be? Good question, not an easy answer. So yes, there are tests that uh, can measure immune function, and there are other uh, tests and blood work that can let you know if the body is in the realm of uh, normal function, medium to high function. But the best thing is just to ask the question, how do I feel? <laughs> you know, on a regular basis when I wake up in the morning, do I feel energetic? Do I feel clear of thought? Um, do I feel like it's a good day? I have 10 fingers and 10 toes. So let's get out and get something good done. And that, that's, that's probably a pretty decent measure of your immune function. And are you someone who's always sick? Or are you someone that already has one, two, three, or four diagnosed conditions, chronic and generative? Or have you ever been told you have an inflammation issue, an inflammatory disease? All of those things uh, wreak havoc with your immune function. And also, 60 to 70% of our total energy, let's say we get 100 units of energy a day, 60 to 70% of that goes to digestion. And so if we're eating things that are hard to digest, if we're not eliminating, if we're not taking the nutrition because we've got a really healthy gut, um, and what most people don't know is immune function really not originates, but the powerhouse for your immune system is in your gut. And most of the kinds of cells that we need running around the body uh, that work, if you will, deployed to work for the immune system are originated, maintained, growing, uh, being stored in the gut. So the gut's, the gut's finally being taken seriously. What is it about the stomach and what is it about the gut that we should pay attention to? So viruses attack one or two body systems usually. And as I say, the lungs are an easy first option because that's where we invite the outside world in. So we're bringing the virus in through our nose. The gut's interesting because I think the data that you're suggesting or alluding to uh, was showing that about 4% of COVID positive cases showed up first as gut-related, meaning they had diarrhea, constipation, nausea, or vomiting. Um, and then that number moved and hovered around 11%. Now it looks like it's at a minimum 60%, which is actually not a surprise. Um, so at least 60% of COVID patients testing positive present with gut-related symptoms. And why would that be? Because what people don't necessarily think of is that your digestive system starts from your lips, basically, back to the back of your throat, the esophagus, down through your stomach, the woof through the duodenum, and then you have your small intestine, your large intestine. So this is a lot. It's a long, long track. And uh, viruses, just like bacteria, like to hang out and dark, dank, moist, bacteria-ridden places. And so the gut is, a, is all of that. And a clean gut has, has fewer stopping grounds, fewer safe like bus stops for a virus, if you will, 
than um, a, a kind of gunked up gut. And so I, I've been saying forever, before COVID-19, but forever that cleaning the gut out is a really good idea because that keeps the whole body rocking and rolling and your immune function when the gut is clear or when you do something like a fast or a cleanse will bump up. And this is a measurable data point. This isn't just me making something up. It bumps up by, by 50%. Mm. And so the fact that the virus is enjoying the hospitality of a gunked up gut is not a surprise. So what do we do? We ungunk the gut and we let the virus know that, you know, you're, you're not welcome here. Now, it, it may still find a foothold, but it's less likely. So what does that entail? What, what does it mean to clean out the gut and what, what do you recommend? Um, so first would be what you're putting in. So uh, feeding the body, you know, if you had a Formula One car, you wouldn't put honey in it or peanut butter in it, but we do that with the human body all the time. So we eat first for nutrition, for the fuel that the body needs. And then of course it's fun and exciting, especially if it's a cherry pie. But the first reason to consume is to fuel the body. And so, um, obviously plant-based foods, whole foods, foods that you can pronounce, foods that don't have a shelf life of two years, that don't come out of a can, are much better for you. Conversely, processed foods um, have all kinds of things in them that cross the blood-brain barrier, uh, the placental barrier, and wreak havoc in the gut and, and create these dark, dank spaces, or at least uh, food that's very difficult to digest so we don't eliminate regularly. So there's a way of eating and beveraging. Uh, there's a way of breathing. There's a way of opening the lungs and exercising the lungs. There's a way of cleaning your airway, which are, is your nose, cleaning your uh, esophageal path, which is your mouth. Uh, they just and 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 the really basic advice, <laughs> um, which again my background's in public health. I mean, washing hands. If people wash their hands five or more times a day, we would decrease the overall healthcare burden by seventy percent. And I mean, who's in charge of washing your hands? A pharmaceutical company, a hospital, a specialist? No, we are. So it's really quite simple when you boil it down. And again, I just want to underline that the reason I talk like this is because it's true, but also because it's very empowering, meaning that you feel empowered to take care of your good self, yourself, by yourself. <laughs> so it feels like back to basics. Is that in some ways the best single line of defense in this time of COVID? Yeah, you know, it's I'm I'm probably older than maybe your listeners are, I don't know, but it, it feels like we're all harking back to a time of our grandparents because depending on how old you are, very likely your grandparents were eating and beveraging sensibly because they were close to their food source and they were eating things that were, were arriving or originating within 100 miles of where they live because they didn't move that much further than that. So a lot of us are actually going back to cooking the way our grandparents did and making fabulous breads the way, you know, we're, we're nourishing ourselves in a very loving way. Yeah, I, I heard that in some places, some communities around the world, one of the first things that went off the shelf was yeast to make bread, as bread is one of those, I guess, more in the Western cultures, uh, a comfort food and therefore a reminder of what it is to tend and, and, and feed yourself. Yes, and I love the analogy of bread, and I want to credit the person who posted this, but I don't know. Um, it requires us to get our hands in it. It requires time and it requires space to let the the yeast and the bread rise before we bake it. And it, it teases our olfactory sense, our sense of smell, our sense of taste. Oh my gosh, melted butter on it. I mean, it's just love. Bread is love. And every culture has a kind of love. And this is what our grandparents, uh, if, if we had a functional family, if we didn't, we just borrow from Hollywood and Disney. But this is what they did. They loved us through how they fed us. Mm. And I'm finding with my client base, so many people, because of the lockdown, 
uh, are back in their own kitchens. They're back cooking. And they realize that good food takes time. Good food is so much fun to cook because it's such an orgasm for your eyes, all these colors, all these flavors, all these scents, all these smells. And I think that's a good thing. I think we've, we've been, uh, quote, busied to the point that we weren't paying attention. And I, I, I think this virus, if it was personified, is, is a loving mother putting us in a big deserved timeout to come back to what is important. Now, and for the healthcare perspective, it's for me, it's coming back to the basics of how to take care of it. But it's true across all verticals, what you're doing for a living, how you're loving the, the people that you say you love. Mm. Who are you hanging out with? You know, are you wasting a whole bunch of time with people you actually don't even like? If you could talk to a CEO who's facing this prospect of sending people by the thousands back to the workplace, what would you say to him or her uh, in terms of what they could do to support their employees in their personal health care agendas? Um, great question. And I think the world needs <clears throat> informed, evidence-based leadership more than they ever have. So I guess if I was in dialogue with someone running a company, it would be back to, to advice and counsel I was trying to give even 30 years ago of how to take care of your workforce so that they can perform for you. And that's, that's becoming complicated in terms of testing and whatnot. But, you know, if, if we ever get back to a workplace, having healthy options at the workplace, um, if people are at home, giving them time to source or prepare healthy foods, um, caring, <laughs> caring for the whole person, um, you'll get the best out of them when you have them connected to the to the wholeness of who they are. And I think that's a lot of what's coming out of this lockdown as well. Most of us, our productivity has gone way up. Our creativity is up. Um, and that's coming because we are adding discipline into the wholeness of our life. We're spending time hugging our kids and reading them stories before they go to bed and, and then working and then exercising. And then, and you and I have been doing this. We, we actually have stickies on our bedroom door, post-its of, how are we going to do this physically, emotionally, and spiritually? And you and I have really laid down some beautiful uh, disciplines around how to best take care of ourselves. N nothing that we're doing now didn't make sense before COVID. We just said that we didn't have time to care for ourselves this way. Is this an opportunity for corporations to rethink and revisit that? In other words, are the things that could start now that companies could do to actually re-energize this idea of caring for employees in a way that perhaps they forgot to do prior to COVID? Well, I'm not a CEO, but I would say I take care of uh, actively somewhere between three and 7,000 people around the world. And what I'm offering them as advice is what I would tell you, my husband, Maddie and Becca, my daughters, and everybody I love. And it's a very sensible plan for how to best take care of yourself. But I know that uh, in the old world, the world that we're trying to step out of, money rules everything. And the big question is who's gonna pay for it? Because as always, a public health truth is it is a hell of a lot cheaper to keep people from getting sick than it is to take care of them once they are. So the amount of money going around one COVID positive patient is at least a few hundred thousand dollars. So it is uh, incumbent upon leadership to, to pull this back. And what's gonna happen is it's gonna come down to a very basic question, which is who's gonna pay for it? So if a company is on the hook for healthcare benefits for the insurance for their employees, and they unlock faster than they should, and people are back on planes and going to concerts and whatever, um, there's gonna be a real issue with that. And so I, I think 
the the intelligent leadership is already looking at that and trying to figure out well where should I put my money and all I can say is that that from time immemorial the best bang for the buck is on the public health side on the primary care side not on the tertiary side we've always known that but it's not sexy mm. and it doesn't sell but it sure as hell keeps people alive. Mm. Um, you know, it's an interesting moment. And I just, I guess it, to me, this is why I wanted to have the conversation is because it's not coming up uh, as you would expect it would. Uh, it's all about the science. And, and I guess getting back to the basics is what we're talking about here. Is there anything else you might add or suggest to, to, to this before we have our dinner? <laughs> before we finish our cocktail and have a new recipe out of the kitchen. Um, yes, I would say I would want to leave anybody who is listening with the reality that now is the time to boost your immune system and to stay on top of that process on a regular basis. And two, I know that I'm forever the optimist and always looking for silver linings, but I think this is a great time. I think this is exactly what we needed as a species that shares this planet with many, many other species. And the time for reflection, the time for connection, and the time for rethinking uh, has been very valuable to most people. I was on a call today uh, for a miracles course that I lead, and I was asking people uh, who wants to to go back to life as it was. No one raised their hand on the call. Who wants to take what they've learned based on these lockdowns and restrictions and time at home and live with that new reality? All hands went up faster than I could finish the question. So much much has happened that needed to happen. And so I'm, I feel very positive, and this virus may be with us for as long as it takes for us to realize our place on this planet. And I can say, hand on heart, it's been a joy and a pleasure being in lockdown with you. <laughs> All the stories we could tell, but we won't. Yeah. Did, they, did you tell them that we're not dressed right now? Uh, we can't <laughs> talk about that. So thanks, uh, and enjoy your drink, and thanks for sharing. Thanks, and happy anniversary almost to you. Back at you. That was my conversation with Ann Hockett, healthcare practitioner and life partner extraordinaire. I hope you've enjoyed this brief detour from our regular programming. Being in lockdown is a kind of mourning. The feelings come in stages. At first, there's grief at the passing of one's former life. Then there's emptiness, like something's missing. More likely than not, we experience anger or resentment. Why is this happening to me? But eventually, a kind of resolve enters in. It is what it is, you say to yourself. Now let's make the most of it. Getting on with things is what we humans do. This experience shows me that as a species, we are shockingly resilient and adaptable. We're also creatures of habit, and this is where concern sets in. Have enough people taken enough time during lockdown to contemplate what's most important? If, as Anne suggests, Mother Nature has placed us all in a big time out, will we emerge having learned our lesson? Or will we fall back into old patterns, reconstituting harmful habits that undermine rather than elevate our humanity? My post-down philosophy is taking shape. I have a dream for us all, and it goes something like this. As individuals, I hope we find ways to retake control of our lives. That might mean taking ownership of one's own health, or it could mean leaving a soul-sucking job that offers a paycheck but not much more. Whatever it looks like, find it and own it. As a community, I hope we pay more attention to one another. Not because we want something in return, but because we have an inherent capacity to give more than we take. And as a planet, let's show some respect. The world deserves it. 
Time to invest in a new way of living that puts less emphasis on what we can have and more on what we can do to sustain and regenerate all that's been given. For the next big lockdown, instead of thinking of home as a couple of rooms and a kitchen, how about something bigger? Let's make Earth our home. From Inside Asia, here's wishing you all a safe and healthy return to your jobs and your communities. That's it for this week. If you're not a regular listener, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you download and listen. There are over 130 episodes to choose from. We cover everything from geopolitics to emerging trends. If you're doing business in Asia, listen to what Inside Asia's guests have to say. You won't find a better business-focused podcast in Asia on Asia. Until next time, this is Steve Stein saying, coming from the outside on Inside Asia. Thank you.